0: Welcome in to Natchez Glen House Stories. Kids, We span the gamut. We all know this. We talk about a lot of different subjects in the world of gardening. That has to do with plants. My guess this week for this story, I think we're going to get into two things that have really been on my mind, in particular in 2020, because as we all know, this has been a very challenging, difficult year for people. But there's some moments to reflect, I think, in this moment. My guess is for this story is Carmen Johnston. Carmen, let's let's start the conversation here. We were just having it before we started recording. The two <laughs> the two of, the two of us were having a conversation that we should have been recording. So I'm always here. like, stop, people. We need to actually <laughs> record this.
1: We just get excited and get started a little bit earlier.
0: It's the pre-show pre-show podcast version, people. One day we'll record that too, and I'll just have a camera that follows me around constantly, twenty four seven. It won't be embarrassing at all. So. Let me hit you with this, Karma, because you were just talking about it. And and I think this is a, a very important little moment here. So we were discussing how during the global pandemic and the lockdown for so many people, which has been difficult, that a lot of people have taken a little bit more interest, at least, in gardening and their own garden at their own homes, be that whatever scale it might be. Is that something you've seen? What has been sort of the the what have you experienced that? Is it been like people doing a small container garden? Has that been yes. people doing big, large gardens? Have you seen both? Have you seen all? What's been the mix, been?
1: Well, one, you know, we're based in the southeast and we service, uh, you know, what we call the middle Georgia area, just to kind of give your viewers uh, a span. And, you know, and I own a um, landscape design and installation business. But, you know, once the pandemic, you know, half or it all started, uh, we just started getting so much, so many questions about vegetable gardening, how do I start my own um, vegetable garden? You know, we have several social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram, and we just saw an intense, and an, call, I'm would i calling it intense because it was just like a rapid feed of pe- people I, wanting and showing interest of, how do I make my front door pretty? Now, I, I think people are, were at somewhat interested, but now they were home they were home with their children. They were having more time available to, to look outside. You know, they weren't caught up in the everyday, you know, rush to work, go to the office, pick up the kids from school, then get back home, you know, and they were just not, they, they had more time to really to look at everything and to sit back. So, yes, we we have seen and experienced firsthand. A, a huge increase in people's interest in, in just a, any type of gardening, Vegetable, uh, definitely container garden because that's kind of my specialty, one of my passions. And when, when the whole thing started and we kind of felt like it was somewhat, I don't know, I shouldn't say safe, but we held like an outdoor garden market, Stephen, um, uh, right around Mother's Day. A- I mean, and people were just going crazy for plants like I had never seen in our town before. So, I'm super excited about it because, you know, uh, as being a you know a little bit of a uh, of a plant geek and someone who's passionate about it and who loves sharing it with other people, I'm I'm looking forward to the opportunities of sharing our knowledge with people and, and and helping them, you know, starting to kind of get their fingers dirty and and start developing somewhat of that you know that green thumb.
0: Well, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to have Carmen on the podcast was because for all of you that listen intently and all of you, of course should, because otherwise you are not taking notes while you're listening to this podcast. You're just wasting your life. People take notes. So (laughs) a lot of times, Carmen, we have a lot of really great guests, right? We've had really great academic level guests on the podcast, but one of the things that I think I try to tiptoe around because many of them have been involved in the world of plants and horticulture for m- most of their lives decades that mm. they didn't do a great job communicating a lot it was all well and good that we all got together in some kind of weird secret ritual once every couple of months and we talked about new plants and new introductions and Y'all we all tend-
1: yeah, you're like these groupies. <laughs> yes, and,
0: and I think it's one of the problems that we didn't do a great job communicating. We, we didn't do exactly what you're saying that so many people have, have been wanting to get interested. But then there's this, regardless of how you choose to communicate about plants, like we just weren't doing it. I, I think that's a real blunt way for me to address the, the question slash statement is we were all over here and then everybody else is over there. And do you did you sense that in because I know you were like myself, neither one of us, we didn't grow up in the horticulture nursery kind of world. Is that something before and at the beginning of when you entered into it professionally that you noticed that it's sort of this world of, well, those consumers, those people, there's a lot of the people sitting atop the ivory tower, all talking to each other and looking down on the people below them who don't know as much.
1: Right. So, uh, you know, just to kind of tell, you know, just kind of chat about this with your with your viewers to kind of give somebody, you know, some folks kind of the landscape of how I entered into the business. So. I'm married into this. Uh, uh, my husband's family uh, had, uh, gosh, I forget how many greenhouses. It was a lot. They they had a lot of greenhouses and they produced annual color, uh, you know, every spring and all throughout the year, you know, your traditional mums for fall, your poinsettias for Christmas and all your beautiful annual color for spring. And, and it was just so obvious to me as an outsider looking in when I say an outsider, you know, I grew up gardening with my dad. He's from Austria. So that was very much a part of our our everyday thing, but to actually grow the plants and to be in that plant world as an outsider looking in, it was just so obvious to me that they they went to their their greenhouse conferences, they all hung out in their own little groups, so they for you're right. They really weren't chatting with the consumer and it's almost like they were uh, I think, afraid to chat with or communicate with the consumer because they didn't know how to communicate with the consumer. And so, uh, which brings up a kind of another interesting point, you know, I think oftentimes some, which I think it's great to have the technical background, but sometimes I think, you know, the HORT folks need to bring it down to a level where just everybody can understand it and uh, and kind of make it a little bit of a gateway for them, get them interested, get them hooked. And then you can start bringing in the technical information when they're like, oh, well, really, what do those three numbers mean in the fertilizer? You know, it, it's it's like a, it's a gradual process.
0: I agree with uh, you. I think one of the things that uh, we had Paul Allen Smith on the podcast at some point last okay. year. And one thing that we talked about was, if everything we had been done had been done in communicating for gardening was working, if it had worked right sort of the approach that had been taken over this last let's call it fifty year slice of American history, we'd seen more people gardening, and we haven't seen the results of it as much so when when you are 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 brought into it through that way are you sort of surprised that, you know, like they're over here talking and then there's sort of like a general audience of consumers out here just sort of going, I have no idea what these people are talking about.
1: Yeah, no, I'm not surprised (laughs) because when you hear what they're talking about and you kind of, you know, you're like, oh, you've got, you've got to kind of make this, um, fun and, and exciting for the consumers. And then two, I think it's okay you know, Steve, like people are going to kill plants. I mean, it's just, it's like cooking. I think gardening can be a lot like cooking. You're going to try some recipes. Some are going to be great and some are not going to be great, right? You just kind of got to get your, you know, get your feet wet and get into it. But back to the commu—the big, you know, bulk of the communication style, I think they just kind of, almost forgot about who was actually buy, consuming their their plants. That, that's kind of a big thing for me to say. I, I don't, they didn't necessarily forget about it. I just don't know if they were afraid to talk to them. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know?
0: Well, there, there's a really interesting conversation I had with a, a large-scale garden center owner up in New Jersey. And he made a mm-hmm. comment to me about the boom period that he experienced through the 60s, 70s, 80s, and early 90s. And he said, you know, Steve, here's the truth. America was building. We're building houses. Places like New Jersey went from being, you know, farmland outside of New York City to massive subdivisions. It didn't matter what I was selling. It didn't matter the plant. It didn't matter the, the cultivar. It didn't matter. It just didn't matter. People just needed plants. That was it. And I often come back to that conversation and thinking, it, was that a mistake that they didn't see, right? We weren't really building gardeners and in interest, and we really weren't speaking to them. We just had something that they sort of needed. Because when you build a house, you put some plants in front of it. What plants? Eh, who cares?
1: It, right, right. And you know, it's so funny you say that because my father in law will say the same thing. You know, in the um, 80s and the 90s, that was their big year. Those were huge years for them. Anything they grew, they said they sold. Anything that they grew, they sold. But, you know, you're right. You know, what did the industry not do necessarily to you know to kind to inform them and 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 te- and and to you know and to educate them and, and and to teach them. So you know that's something that we try to do. Uh, not necessarily we don't get technical unless they DM us or they ask us. You know, like a high a technical question, but you know just try to educate them on why do you not, why do you wait until April 15th in our area to plant, right? You know, why do you wait? You know, why do you use this type of fertilizer for this? And why do you use this, you know, this, when you're mixing the contain the plants for the container garden, why can't you put, you know, this certain plant with this plant? Well, because this plant's, you know, this creeping Jenny's going to take over. So, you know, it's just, we, we do try to educate them and just try to bring it back down a few levels where they can't understand it and and then try to give them some level of, of success. But I think it's okay for them to fail too, well, because and not the, perfect.
0: <laughs> for me, I have this awesome example that I point out, and this is an appropriate time as we're recording this. This is the appropriate time to bring it up that how many questions I get, Carmen, that people don't know and again i think this just points to it folks and i know some of you folks that are out there maybe this be a little sensitive topic you guys will get a little bit offended (laughs) you guys are gonna be like oh here he goes again he's saying one of these things okay here we go if all the way we had been communicating worked and was really effective Mm. people would know that daffodils and tulips get planted in the fall and something as simple as that, as simple as that, right? That's about Carmen. I would say if we were talking to most hardcore gardening people, they would think, oh, no, people know that. People, what are you talking about? No. I have a news flash for you guys.
1: Can I give you another news flash? They don't even know how to take the plant out of the pot. <laughs> yes. I'm, ser- I, I, I'm serious. Like the things that we see, I'm like, you're right. And, you know, Steve, I've really never – like, what What happened? You know, but also, too, I think some of that goes, yes, the industry didn't communicate. But, you know, I had and I know we I know there's been some mention of this in the industry. I know you read about it, you talk about it. But really, I, I did it with my dad growing up, you know, so that's how I have some you know, form of it. But, you know, nowadays I look at my our friends and they're not really doing it with their children. And so you know that's another layer that's super important for us to recognize. Also, is you know I don't know, Steve, do you have children?
0: Yeah, I have. I have a fourteen-year-old daughter, and I think what's interesting what what you're saying also um, earlier today, because on this day that you people are listening to this, I don't know when it is. It's the future, (laughs) but the day that I'm recording this, uh, Joe Thompson, who's a British uh, garden designer, was on with me, and. She mentioned almost like a lost generation of gardeners. And I've heard several people across the world, actually, not just here in the States, but in in Europe as well, sort of mention this, that there was a moment there where like we didn't have anything. Like there wasn't like you're talking about the generational link between, you know, a parent and their kids with gardening. It feels like there might've been that kind of moment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was fortunate enough to have a dad who we had window boxes and, you know, we had a vegetable garden and, you know, he would order earthworms in the spring and and, um, you know, we would sprinkle them out in the yard. That's how we aerated the grass. Uh, You know, I, I was fortunate enough to grow up like that. But I see a lot of our friends who don't do that with their children. And, you know, it's fun. We actually give um, the gifts to our friends of, you know, like the herbs and the fun, especially, you know, since the pandemic and things, you know, start. You know, we, we try to share with them and their children, you know, the, the just plants and, and and just try to just the herbs or you know, anything just to try to get to allow, to, you know, for their kids, just get get your hands dirty and just try it and just see what it's like. But we have, we, I I definitely agree with her. We have lost a generation, but I think with the pandemic, we have the opportunity to, uh, you know, with people having maybe a little bit more time on their hands to one, to communicate it, but two, you know, to help, you know, educate people, and and now people have a little bit of more of an interest. I mean, we're seeing it, like we said earlier, of getting out there and um, and, and trying it, and uh, and you know, they're just showing. There's, like I said, they're showing more of an interest, but. You know, it, it's one of those things. I do believe not, I don't believe everybody's a gardener, right, Steve? I believe that, you know, it's either some people, you know, like it and they try it and they're like, ugh, you know, I'm not going to do that. Or or they just, they get hooked like we got hooked.
0: Yep. And Totally agree with that. I, I think that's an important distinction to make as well, Carmen. I, I think sometimes one of the downsides of the industry of plants has been we almost act like we're trying to be all things. Right. We want everybody to be. The, and it's like the, the truth is we're going to have a lot of people that just someday in April or May want to go out. They want to buy a few plants. They want to enjoy that little bit of time. And that's it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. They're, they're not going to become like gardeners per se, but we need to cultivate a group that is. Right. If the industry and people in it like yourself and myself are going to pay our bills, Carmen, we need for people to 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 get beyond that. Right. We need for people to be like, oh, wow, this is cool. I like this. Now, what else can I do? We need those people as well
1: that, you know, we have, uh, when we do our landscape installations, oftentimes our plans have phase one, phase two, and phase three, right? Sometimes they can go on. It just depends on, but usually like phase one is, of course, you know, like the, the drainage, the irrigation, the, um, hardscape, the sides, the, all that kind of stuff. Well, then, you know, and then, the, and then we just layer in a few perennials and what I like to call the jewelry in the garden, the beautiful stuff. And and then when they're like, "Ooh, this looks pretty. A- and then they get excited about "Well, what's phase two. Well, phase two is, you know, just all of the, you know, there's so many like the daffodils and there's so many beautiful other layers in the garden that that can be added. And uh, I just think they they get they become more interested. But they got to At some point, though, see, we've got to get them comfortable. Right, we've got to get them in that entry level to get them comfortable, and then they start getting excited about learning about it more.
0: I want to ask you about that question because this was uh, obviously you're you're very talented with your container garden design, and that's something clearly that you really enjoy personally as well. I love it. I, I guess the question I would have for you on container gardening is along these same lines: is what do we do with the person that tries it and they fail a little? Because my concern is always, we have this weird thing that we need to break, people. We need to break this habit. Break yourself of this cycle. If you're listening to this, this is a hypnotizing message that I'm giving you. Stop doing this. That (laughs) plants die. It's okay. Like, it happens. The, The largest killers of plants in the universe are nursery owners. So don't feel as if that moment is about you. I, I, I shared this story and we, we have a mutual friend who works for a large rose company and thankfully these were not their roses, Carmen. But <laughs> I had roses come in from another large wholesale rose grower as bare roots back in the, the early spring and they were the worst grafted budded roses as far as quality goes I've ever seen in my life. I knew the day I planted them, Those roses were not long for this world, right? It was going to be one of those plants that it was going to limp along if it was lucky and then eventually was going to succumb to death and it had nothing to do with me. It was literally the quality of the plant material that was sent to me. It was like cooking with bad ingredients. No matter what you're going to do, this ingredient stinks. It doesn't matter. No one can save it. How do we communicate that better? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, like you're right. If you've got bad ingredients, I mean, I'm literally looking right now at a chicken trough that we planted for a magazine for uh, not too long ago, and there's some dead components in it, right? So I, I think that we try to communicate even to our, even when we're doing a landscape design or an installation, or when we do container gardens for our clients, or when we uh, are just, you know, putting a container together. It, it's not fail proof, like you're going, things are going to die, and I think if we t- tell them, and I try to give them a heads up, not every single plant that we plant in your garden is going to make it, because there's, there's all sorts, I mean, it's mother nature, there's just all sorts of different factors, as you well know, that go into, you know, just the survival rate of, of a plant, you know, one, you gotta, I know this sounds so much like, so common sense, but, you know, some of my clients are like, oh, that's supposed to be watered every day, <laughs> I mean, you just, Can't imagine the things that we get to uh, see, but uh, I think just giving them a realistic expectation is a priority, and number one, that we communicate not every plant is going to live. And it's interesting. I think a lot with like indoor plants, I, I see this a lot, Steve, where people are like, oh, they just expect it to live on and on and on. And they're like, why is this leaf turning brown? Or why is this bloom turning brown? Well, you know, the flower and the blossom is not going to be, for it's not forever. It's going to turn brown. You just got to deadhead it and pick it out. So just being realistic with them and educating them that it, it is like certain things you know have a life cycle certain things do die and um you know of course certain things you know have a longer life cycle but just explaining maybe those life cycles and just being realistic with them up front and um and giving them that you know that true you know realistic expectation
0: do you also get a sense that both of us live in the southern united states right we're both from the southern u.s originally that Some of the imagery that we see out there Uh, in the world, right? The Pinterest of the world, uh, the the Instagram, Facebook, Facebook a little less. By the way, for all of you guys wondering who are listening, I've now determined that Facebook is indeed the home of Crazy Uncle Larry. I use Crazy Uncle Larry as the person that tells you crazy things about all kinds of things and sometimes about plants. I've determined that he distinctly lives on Facebook more than all the other platforms, but that those images that people are seeing, So much of them, Carmen, is Pacific Northwest, Europe, as opposed to areas of the country that we're in, where if you miss a watering day on a container plant here, it's a little rougher on the plants than if you miss it in upper Washington state, north of Seattle. Um, That sometimes almost that, right? Like it's almost this weird vibe of saying, well, the reason why some of these images and the the level of expectation, right? That we're talking about, managing expectations. The expectations have been set based upon the imagery that comes from these places that is almost surreal to begin with. These, it's
1: surreal uh, to us. They're not dealing with, you know, it's been in the 90s. They're not dealing with, you know, I mean, really in the South, containers are like crock pots, right? I mean, you've got to keep them watered. You know, almost every day, if not every other day, and and you know, I have to admit, I'm guilty of setting some of those, um, you know, unrealistic expectations because, you know, it's funny. I have some of my colleagues that will text me or they'll call me and say, "Stop posting that stuff," because. The, my clients don't have a gardener at their house every day picking the brown leaves up and and you know fertilizing and and maintaining it and what it takes to get that look that's what a lot of people I think also don't realize is you know you, there's work that goes into achieving some of those looks but also to having the right weather conditions to you know uh, to achieve those looks, so you know they see the you know the uh this gorgeous petunia that's just insane you know it's just unreal when you go up north right or you know when you go out um you know further you know out in the um you know out out west and and we don't have those weather conditions. And and you know, our petunias here peter out in, you know, in July. And so there's certain it's just I think setting those expectations and where people understand, you know, it's just it's like I, we were saying earlier, it's like fashion. It's where, you know, where depending on where you live, you know, is is what you're going to plant. And I know that sounds so obvious for plant people like us, but if you know just the everyday consumer They see these beautiful images. They don't realize what it takes to get that or how to maintain it or to, you know, to achieve that look. And then, you know, having the actual the weather and the climate affects everything. I mean, it's it's a a major factor. factor.
0: Like with roses, it's all beautiful with roses in the south until sometime around June when the Japanese beetles show up. And then sometime in July when the fungal starts to show up and then, you know, it gets a little worse. And depending upon the weather and the cultivar you're growing, it can go from, oof, what happened here? Every leaf is off of this plant. And now where do we go with it? And it is certainly not Instagrammable any longer. How do you, in, and it's sort of like this interesting world, I think, that you inhabit, right? So you have garden and landscape design that people are looking mm-hmm. for. But then you also have a lot of this container work that you also share a lot of. Do you find that those are the same people, that it's the same a- approach for people, that they sort of look at them the same? Or do you feel that sometimes it's it's a different set of people?
1: Oh, I think it's a completely different um, set set of people. And, and so if you're asking like, wh- as far as... Like the, the, the people who we deal with on social media and we're, so, you know, we're thankful for our followers and because we feel like we're trying to help them and educate them. You know, it's, it's a totally different breed of folks than what than the actual like our, our clientele. But yeah, it's um, I mean, no, I mean, some of them are the same, but uh, it's just it's, it's yes, it is. It is definitely different
0: and is i think one of the the other components here that i think i'd like to see happen and i'm wondering if you you could share sort of where i'm going here on this a problem that i think that exists in american garden design is people tend to get very focused on the plant and not the painting that it gets very focused on here's a plant there's a plant here's a plant there's a plant versus this like tapestry of all of these plants being layered together to make this really beautiful overall image throughout the course of a season. And in a container, you can sort of do that. Like there's on a micro scale, right? That's really what we're trying to do. Is there any ability there you think to link those two things together where we get a little less focused on like, here we're gonna put this and here we're gonna put that versus seeing it as this bigger painting in a garden design way?
1: Yeah, no, I definitely think with container gardening, there's just so that, I, one. I know we've talked about this before. You hear, you hear talk, you know, we talk about it in the industry, but container gardening really is such a great gateway for so many folks because it's like it's their own way to create their little micro landscape, you know, at their front door, on their back porch, and they can mix all these different plants together and um, and see you know how they how they grow well together and it's like an art form within itself but you bring up such a great point about you know in the landscape so many people don't really I like you call it a tapestry I think I call it like the big picture right they they sometimes forget about the big picture of how all of these things flow throughout every season And how, you know, you want things, you know, blooming at different times. And it's just, you know, the different layers in the garden and how those different things work with each other, you know, throughout the season. So, yes, I definitely think there's an opportunity with container gardening to, you know, to have that little, you know, that beautiful tapestry within itself, within its own little ecosystem.
0: Well, I think it's really important, too, because, the, and this is sort of an interesting thing, Carmen, you correct me if I'm wrong here, because you're the container gardening person here when it comes to this conversation, that I almost feel like people would be more okay if a particular plant dies in a container than they would in their garden.
1: Oh, a 100%. Yes. Yeah. I, it's like they feel like, because I think it's just on a much smaller level than than in their yard. And also, too... You know it's a little bit now, container garden, when I say this, I may retrospect what I was about to say, but you know you know people think uh, you know it, it can get expensive. I mean, it can get by the time you you know purchase all the plants and and get good quality plants, good quality soil. You know, and, um, you know, and and so it can, it can get expensive, but uh, of course you pay for what, you pay for what you get, right? Uh, But um, yeah, no, you definitely can. uh, I think they're more willing to, it's okay to fail in a container versus in their garden. But, you know, Steve, I really want it. I really want people to be like, it's okay with failing, whether it's in your garden or your container garden.
0: Exactly. Exactly, like that's the thing, people. You should be fine with both. Like, like I'll, I'll give you an example this year, and I, I've shared this plant on Instagram a few times. Um, an Oregonum that I brought in—that's a decorative one called Kent's Beauty. Oh yeah, and it's this beautiful little ornamental oregano. Fantastic! This sort of cream bracts on it. Uh, yes. But in the garden, the plant gets especially here in the south. -hmm. these brown horrible spots on the bracts pretty quickly. And the plant just seems really prone to fungal issues. And it just needs a hard cut back at least twice a year, which is a bit of an awkward thing because it's this front of the border plant that then needs to get cut back. And it's sort of a low grower almost like a spreading type plant. So it's not great in a garden setting. I've I've got a few of them. They're okay. I've killed a couple of them. It's okay. But in containers, it's been fantastic because you can cut it back and and you can hide it with something else. And then as it reflushes here, you now have those beautiful bracts again. Are there things like that, that sometimes like we need to maybe do a better job of illustrating, right? Like this kind of plant in a container is all kinds of awesome where this plant in a garden setting is maybe going to have some failures, but over here, it's not going to have some of those.
1: Yeah that's such that's such a great point that you talk about. Yes, so there are definitely plants that that are better in a container. You know that don't do well in the ground because of you know the different issues and they and of course with drainage issues and different things. But I think you also something I, I definitely want to share with your with your listeners is we some often promote plant these in the container, right? And then you then once they kind of get established and they do their thing and they cuz that's what people have to remember, they outgrow their homes in the containers, right? Then then put them in the ground. You know, they so you can have a dual purpose with the uh, with the plants. Um, so but you know, certain plants do better in containers and they do better contained because sometimes they can just overtake a garden. But uh, so, and then two, you know, letting them know if like a creeping Jenny or something does fail, half the time if you just cut it all the way back, it will flush back out again, and and just educating them on those different things. But there, there's just so many great things that you can teach uh, and and just start to develop those gardening skills with a container garden you know right the watering the um choosing the right soil the um you know just the the fertilization and and i feel like once they get that that level of success under their belt then they they feel a bit more confident to go into the garden
0: i agree with you i think the confidence building earlier and now here's something i want to get your take on this because you're somebody who Mm -hmm. is involved in this world in the southern half of the u.s how did we let people, I'm going to give you two, this is, this is, you're not going to see this one coming, Carmen. This is a, <laughs> a curveball question. How did we get people to have two of the plants that they attempt to grow early on in their gardening lives, be roses and tomatoes with, which both are very sometimes challenging and difficult yeah. in hot climates. How do we even get to that
1: place? Uh, you know, I mean, was it marketing? <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, God, how did we get to that place? Cause they start, well, I, I think it's just probably what fed from the top down, you know, with what, I mean, in reality, what were the mass producers growing and what did they have to sell? Right. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, that's one possibility but tomatoes are can be challenging. I mean, we're suffering with wilt. I mean, there's so many different things that can go wrong with the with the tomato, uh, and, and then too, you know, with a, with a rose. But I think those were just things that that were probably promoted more. So, um, you know, and and then too, I think just that generation of, you know, the. Um, their grandfathers grew a tomato their grandmothers you know grew roses but also too I think they're probably a little bit of a different tomato different rose right than they're growing now
0: well and I think it almost has a bit of like what you were just saying this almost like county fair kind of vibe to it right like yeah. I grew the the best shiniest looking tomato I you know rose shows which clearly dominated the rose scene in the United States in particular for so long you know I, I grew this perfect <laughs> Mr. Lincoln Rose and it was fantastic. And I took it to a Rose show and I won a blue ribbon kind of vibe. And I wonder if the questions that you get, you know, we already sort of talked about the tulip daffodil thing and sort of where I think that the general public might be with those type subjects. Do you get those kinds of things, right? Like I, I'm always amazed the questions I get, Carmen, via social media tend to be the same. There's not a lot of variation, right? It's, What's wrong with my hydrangea? Why isn't it blooming? What's wrong with yeah. my roses? They have these weird black spots on them. And tomato um, questions. Those are like the top three, I'd say. Hydrangea, rose, tomatoes.
1: Yeah, that's so funny because we look. We get hydrangea questions all the time. <laughs> so, I mean, like, why why does it look like this? Or why did it not bloom? Why did it bloom? uh, you know, why are my tomatoes doing this? Yeah, we do get a lot of the same questions, but I mean, wouldn't you think, you know, that's what, that's what they grew back in the, I mean, I know that's what my grandfather, both my grandfathers, you know, on both, um, on both sides, you know, they both grew roses and tomatoes. So maybe that was just something that they it was like a generational type thing. They remember having maybe some of those memories or, or seeing some of that as a child of having the roses and, and the tomatoes, but they are difficult to grow. You know why? Uh, but you know, then, then it comes the whole world of succulents, right? You know, I feel like and I'm kind of changing gears here with the, so these are things that I feel like have been, you know, I've been around for, for, for a while, but the succulents are something I feel like they're trying to introduce to, help people you know they're so you know this this is more of an easier plant to grow not necessarily easy but they don't need as much love as a rose or a tomato
0: well i think you're right i think there are these you know we for, forever in a day my favorite plant to pick on is the peony because uh-huh. it's not a great plant right it's a great flower but it's not a great plant it has a very short bloom that everybody anticipates and then it blooms and it's gorgeous and it's fantastic but there's gotta be a garden around it to support it. And I think that's one of the things that when we talk about succulents and like that family is hopefully we can inch people towards a more gardening centric mentality because there are great plants that are far easier to grow than a rose. There are other plants besides peonies that do much more flowering throughout the growing season that it's not about looking at it like i mentioned earlier Carmen in this like singular way that it feels like the plant world has been dominated by for so long.
1: Yeah, you're right. It's like this in these little buckets, you know, they're they you're you're right. I never really thought about it like that until you just, you know, they they do, it is very singular, but I, it's almost like what's coming from the top down, right, from the growers and from the um, from the mass, you know, the, the mass production. But there are so many fabulous plants that get left behind, you know, that people that people don't talk about, uh, and and there are so many great opportunities for these plants for. Um, you know, for, we just have got to get them out there to introduce them. But I think you definitely have been exposed to the breeding world. I was exposed to the breeding world, you know, early on and watched, saw a lot of that when I'm um, with my in-laws in the greenhouse. I mean, I had no idea how many petunias or how many plants they trial to bring one to market. Right. I mean, that it was just a whole nother world opened up to me. I had no idea. So I, I think there's so many layers that go on behind the scenes that the everyday person who has planted, they have no clue how that plant landed on the bench.
0: I agree right? with you. Well, I think that's one of the things like people like yourself, people like myself, like what we're trying to do is just storytell better. Like, like that's yeah. a big part of this, that there's a reason why uh, recently on the podcast, we talked a lot of hellebore and it's just in my mind, but you know, we talked about the length of time that it went into just breeding This new introduction of Hellebore and then how long it takes just to get that into the market space before that even gets to someone's garden might be a 10 or 15 year process from beginning to getting it into that garden and not telling that part of the story is, and the people even behind that story is really devaluing the product ultimately, right? It's just another plant sitting in a pot somewhere at a garden center. Who cares? But right. when we no tell, idea. we connect those dots. It's just a more powerful narrative.
1: It is a huge, powerful narrative. You know, like I think. Have you? I, I know you've probably been to the trials out in California. Yep. yep. So that was the biggest eye opener for me to go behind the scenes and to see. And and the reason why I keep bringing up the petunia was because I think that's just like a very common plant that a lot of people are comfortable with and they see it, but. I had never seen so many different color variations of petunias in my life. You know, there were hundreds and hundreds of different colors and it was almost like a fashion show to me some in some way, shape or form because, you know, when you think about a shirt, they have to reinvent how is that polo shirt sold every single season and, and it's something that, you know, our industry kind of, you know, needs to do a better job of. It's because they tell a story behind that shirt and how how the you know, designer came up with that. But, you know, back to the plant, it's just, yes, there are stories behind all of these plants and, and how all of this came to fruition and how did it land in your yard? I mean, how did it get there? there there's just it's an incredible journey that that one little plant takes just to get there.
0: Are you at all concerned, and, and I think this is something that has concerned me, that you, you've now been doing this before social media was really a thing. We've clearly um, yeah. seen social media become such a dominant player in the world of everything, right? That yeah. there is also now a lot of bad information out there.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think that – uh When you say bad information, you're talking about just things that are not truly helpful.
0: Yes. Or, Or just things that, you know, I always, I, there's a friend of mine who, who creates some content that I would say borderlines on that subject occasionally. And I always point out to her, I go, you know, just a quick phrase of in my area, in my zone, In my climate, this does well. Just that one little sentence would really be helpful because sometimes we have this information, before we started recording, we were talking about this subject, of people seeing these images in these places with these very Goldilocks environments, and then people going, oh, okay, that'll work for me, and that's a plant that has no chance to live in, you know, central Georgia or, you know, Eastern Texas that, that sometimes we're not just giving that little extra sprinkle of information to help
1: people. And that's such a good reminder because I'm guilty of that, you know, where where we, you know, we promote like a certain container garden. when I say promote, we just talk about it and show it you know, on our Instagram stories. And um, but I do try to tell people, you know, this is what's working well for us because we are in this area. But if you live up north or if you live out west, you know, this may not work, work well for you. But, you, you know, yes, there are some, you know, there is some information that is not the correct information that's being put on social media, which is a reminder to all of us to try to, you know, to put out good content, good information. But two, I think there's so many great things that social media has done for our industry, Steve. You know, I I do think that, uh, you know, we are seeing more of an interest in, I mean, my gosh, I think I saw on your, you know, Whoever knew dahlias could be so popular, right?
0: Right. Well, and I think it's, it's one of the things that I, I often am encouraged by is that uh, I had Mark Wethington on recently who is director of the J.C. Rolston Arboretum in North Carolina State. And what I shared with him was, you know, Mark, here's the thing. 20 years ago, people weren't hearing somebody with your qualifications talk about plants. We had to go hear you at a lecture, right? If you were lecturing, again, we get back to that trade industry issue, Carmen, of like, if you were in that world, you could sort of maybe you knew about it. But now, because of social media, we can communicate with people and get information directly from the source.
1: Yes, which is, so we have an incredible resource. And we just like what you're saying, we just have to make sure We put out good content. And when I say content, we educate, educate people about plants, try to teach them, you know, try to, you know, some of them were holding their hands. But you're right. I mean, there's so like I mean, I not only just on social media, but I am guilty. I love to watch YouTube videos of English gardeners. <laughs> you know, just trying to learn from that. knowledge. that wasn't there, you know, back uh 20 years ago, right? You know, so there there is so much more information out there now. So I think there are some definitely pros and cons to social media, but you know, and like, I think there's so many great things from a big blogger standing in a field of dahlias, you know, taking a, a picture of, of a dahlia field because they, they start getting, they become more interested in, in that. And if it takes a blogger standing in a, in a field of, of you know, dahlias to get people into gardening, I'm I'm for it, Steve, because yeah. it's just, it's a great, it's a gateway. But we really are at a pivotal uh, you know, moment and you bring up such a great, you know, with the pandemic and people having more interest in gardening and, you know, pe- people more paying attention to social media. It, it's really a great opportunity for our industry to take advantage of it and and for the mass grow, for everybody to really just, to, you know, to hone in on educating this next generation versus skipping that generation. I right? agree. You know, I agree. Really- Them, let's take the time, let's take the effort, and you know, in the spirit of transparency. I mean, we run a busy business; it's a lot of work. I know you're busy, you know, and it's like taking the time out to do these, you know, educational things to create stories on Instagram. It takes time, but I want to do it just like you want to do it because we're passionate about educating that 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 gardener or that future gardener.
0: Well, I and I think that's it's so fascinating you say that because my as we talked before we were recording. One of my hopes is that we can create like a next, like a, a layer, right? There's this graduation process where there's different personalities, and different people within the plant world, and people can find this ladder of different places to go to, whatever that ladder might be. In my book, mm-hmm. it would be awesome if there was someone out there who doesn't know Hamamelis vernalis an from anything, but four years from now, they're like the world's leading witch hazel grower. That would be awesome, right? That would be fantastic yeah. if we could create a path for that person to find that passion. I think what you said, and this is a really, I I will, I I think from what you just said, Carmen, you're going to relate to me on this and I'll be Mm -hmm. very transparent with everybody in this conversation. I've had moments in particular this year of 2020. And I had said this even, I think in 2019 on the podcast Mm -hmm. last year and this year, I've been a horrible grower from a grower perspective, right? From someone whose initial intention was to grow plants for cut flowers, horrible grower. Like the worst. I'd give myself an F hard minus.
1: is a hard profession.
0: Well, very hard. <laughs> and the reason being is because I have to spend so much time on content creation that yeah. you do. And it becomes this very interesting ballet dance of uh. a balance of you've got a job that generates income, right? That's at the end of the day, that's what you're supposed to be doing, right? Unless you're on some kind of philanthropic kick and more power to you, but- for most of us, there's the economics of this, but you also know that the content part can drive the economic part, but maybe not in the short term, but more in the long term. Like, how have you, have you come to any balance with that yet, even in your own business?
1: You know, it, it's a tough balance. I and mean, when we try to map out, uh, you know, content calendars of, you know, just create, okay, what's going on in the garden right now, right? What do people need to be doing in the garden? Well, just, you know, last Friday we were supposed to shoot, you know, some videos of um, just some different like fun, fun things that you should be doing in the garden. Well, you know, then life happens and, you know, the real world happens with the, with jobs and our installations. And, and so it is, it's a tough balance. But, you know, we try our hardest to put out, you know, Instagram, I say stories or, you know, Facebook video, whatever it is, good content to try to educate people because, you know, we do get a lot of questions about it. And and I want to help people just like that's really at the heart of it Steve yes you know we want to you know we want a paycheck from this but at the heart of it deeply we, we want to educate people and teach them how to become you know a gardener or just where they can become somewhat comfortable with it because they they have an interest they're curious about it so let's you know let, let's teach them and, and, and help them and that's at the end of the day it's really about helping everybody or you know the people who are interested becoming a, a better gardener, if that's what you're, you know, where they, they feel successful and and, and they become where they're interested in it, right? But it is a balance. It, it's a tough, It's a, we struggle with that balance of, you know, what's generating revenue for our business and, you know, what I think that in the social media definitely brings us leads, you know, for our business. And I think it's a great thing, you know, so the social media almost, you know, serves as like a two prong approach for us, you know, it brings in leads, but it also the number one thing it does is educate.
0: Uh, do you feel coming into this, your, your, your husband and maybe his, uh, the generation before him, one of the things I, I have seen that, to a real hardcore like horticulture person has sort of blown my mind, Carmen, if I'm being honest, <laughs> okay. that there are some super well-respected nurseries as an example across the United States or super well-respected nursery people across the United States. Then in 2020, some of them have like, I'll give one, I'll, I'm going to pick on one. I got one to pick on. I'm going to call it out by name. Okay. Sorry, folks. The American Daffodil Society, okay? Uh-huh. So the American (laughs) Daffodil Society kids has an Instagram account, okay? The last time they posted was sometime in 2018. I believe they have 62 followers. They're following none, and they have one post. They have one post from two years ago. Are you ever shocked at that the way I am? That here we've got, I'm sure within that that American Daffodil Society, their website has got some fascinating, cool things on it. They have old ads and catalogs from the 60s and 70s that somebody took the time to save as PDFs, but yet they don't do anything with it. And literally, you know, um, know, Joe somewhere in the world who posts photos of daffodils has like 6,000 followers and these guys have none. I know it, it
1: is. It's, it's sad to me that they don't, but I think it's just their mindset. It's like my father-in-law, and I don't think he's going to listen to this podcast, so I can definitely talk <laughs> talk about it. They just, they, that grower mentality, there's just of that older generation and they just don't understand it. They just don't quite get why do I need to post that information on social media? I can just say that in a lecture. Or I can just, uh, you know, in the garden club format, they, they just don't understand the new style of communication. They have not updated. Right. They're still living um, in, in the past. But that's where I think it becomes our job, Steve, to, to kind of help educate, uh, you know, and, and share that knowledge. And just like you do such a fantastic job on your platforms, you know, sharing that knowledge. And uh, and yes, we can encourage Those older folks to do that. But I really think it's one of the charges that we have to lead. And I I, I agree with
0: you. It's really one of the things I I have often, as soon as I convince my 14 year old to take up video production as a full time career, Carmen, all of this will get done, right? (laughs) I mean, I don't know if you guys knew this, but really the bottleneck to all of this being accomplished is my 14 year old daughter not knowing how to work a mirrorless expensive camera. Like that's it. As soon as she gets that, (laughs) boom, we're golden kids. (laughs) that um you know Michael Durr is another person i can pick on dr yeah. durr so so michael is incredible i mean for those of you that don't know he's he's one of my people that i know but for some reason he refuses to come on the podcast it's okay i don't take it personal yes i do so he yeah. is one of the foremost american horticultural brains of the last 50
1: years. So much knowledge, so much knowledge there.
0: <laughs> and, and, and Michael is a great communicator actually. When you, when you hear Dr. Durr talk, he's a good communicator. He's willing to say things. He's willing to not, you know, hold back. If something's sort of dumb, he'll call something sort of dumb. He is, but yet he's a ghost on social media. There, there's nothing, there's no presence. So for people like myself, for people like Carmen, this is a name that we hold in reverence but it sort of doesn't exist. If a tree falls in the woods and it's not posted to Instagram, does it fall? I don't think so. And that's sort of what we're talking about. Have have you had any of these moments in conversations with your husband or yourself or people or colleagues that you know that just sort of like uh, I think you just said it like it is sort of our job to to share it, but you know, there's that line of like those people are almost you know david austin is obviously one of these as well but they're they're these like luminaries you know what i'm saying they're these hall of fame people carmen is the point that i'm making and i just yeah. I, I hope that everybody the within the plant world says it
1: the rock star in our industries the, the, in our industry and and they don't want to uh do this and, and i don't know if they'll ever get to that point but no we i mean we talk about my husband i'm like gosh you know there's a, a gentleman He was in his 80s. His name is Neil Womack. And in our world, he is just, he owned, he started a garden center. When he was in his 20s and he was just like the thing in Columbus, Georgia, he has so much knowledge. I mean, there's so much knowledge there. And, you know, and and I was like, you know, why don't you just go on face or why don't you start doing it? He's like, no, I don't need to do that. And it's so sad because it's like we're going to lose that generation of knowledge because that's knowledge and experience years and years and years of experience that, um, that we're going to lose. So Steve, it's up to us to pick their brains and to document it.
0: <laughs> I know. I agree with that completely. All right, Carmen, we're going to start to wrap up here. Let me, let me get your take on these things. Cause these are just very practical questions that I'm sure that you get a lot that I'm, I'm very curious of. Mm-hmm. Where do you get all these containers, Carmen? What do you got a container factory there? I mean, like where, where are you sourcing these containers that you're always putting awesome things in?
1: Okay, so hint, hint, one of my favorite places is to be sure to check out TJ Maxx. This is for like everyday people because, of course, I've got some secret sources that I'm not going to share but because they're like my go-to. But I also, I love like Tuesday mornings, TJ Maxx, um, any sort of flea markets. Be on the lookout, especially right now because some of those container gardens will be going on sale because they're trying to move them for the end of the season.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. And can I tell you folks, if you go into the home goods, you can find some deals on these containers. You're sort of shocked. I'm like, who did they steal these from? Because why are they that cheap? And it doesn't even make sense to me
1: what they do, like TJ Maxx, they're basically getting them from, you know, like the other, like the other like garden centers or different stores. And then they get such great discounts on them. They bring them, they buy them in bulk. And so they just pass that discount on to you. But I have so many of the beautiful containers that you see on our platforms are good old TJ Maxx, Marshalls, and Tuesday mornings. For those of y'all, you know, in the South, you know what Tuesday mornings is. I think that's out west and up north too. Yeah, but a little bit. so, yeah, a lot of a lot of great resources. And then too, like I said, the flea markets. You know, we have Scott's. Ooh, Scott's Antique Market. If you're ever in the Atlanta area, um, they just started up again, uh, and it happens once a month. That's another great resource for some of my great containers.
0: Do you find a lot of the, the vintage type containers out there? Are you repurposing things that are like oh. objects for other things that you make into containers? Or do you ever come yeah. across like some of the actual old like vintage containers as well?
1: We hunt for both. In fact, I was in France uh, right before the pandemic. Let me stop down.
0: you right there. <laughs> Let me stop you right there, Carmen. Whenever, uh, okay. I, I have a friend locally who does like old European antiques. And I'm the most jealous person of, I can't even watch, I can't even look at her Instagram account anymore. Every time I look at something, she had one of, I can't even remember what it's called. There is a technical term for it, but it is uh, this stone and cement work that's like shaped to look like tree bark. And so what? Yes. Thank you. And <laughs> yes, she has this entire outdoor furniture set of it. And every time I see it, I just hate her. I'm just like, oh, okay, cool. This is awesome. How do I not have that?
1: I know it's incredible. Well, we were in France right before the pandemic, so we go all over the world sourcing for containers too, and so that's how we find. So I have an affinity for the old, traditional, old containers, but then they also have great companies that you know have the reproductions and that make those um, containers as well. But we also like to repurpose. Like hose, uh, another one of my fun things that I love to use, uh, front gate, um, just a little plug for front gate. They make these great copper hose pots, right? Well, you can also use that as a container as well. So that's just another little fun tidbit. So yes, I like to hunt for the old things. And also we like to repurpose old container, old items. Or try to reinvent some everyday items that you use around the house and turn those into container gardens.
0: When it comes to your containers right now, everybody always seems to have this. I have it this year with several plants. But is there anything you're currently having a romance with, like a plant that this year when you're working with containers that you just can't get enough of?
1: Oh, Let's see. We're doing a ton of indoor collections right now. Uh, like orchid compositions, uh, and and I know we a lot of people think of containers as outside, but uh, we are using some really fun ferns inside, and then also in shady locations. Like I love. You know, everyone's so used to seeing a sunny container, right, Steve, for a sunny location. But a lot of people forget about those shady spots. So I love ribbon break fern. It's that gorgeous, has this beautiful striation of like that white and green. And I love using, of course, the traditional autumn ferns and um, kangaroo ferns. So that's kind of like my little fun spot right now is those indoor collections or outdoor shady spot, creating...
0: I mean ferns are so underrated in general right now kids like uh, I just went through an availability recently of somebody that specializes in ferns and I think there were 78 garden ferns on there and they're how do you find that like when you have a garden design client and you talk about ferns, do people's eyes sort of roll back in their head like whatever or do you do you find that there's a little bit of like a tell me more kind of approach?
1: Well, I think when we deliver it to their homes, they are in such awe about how beautiful a container can be without a bloom just with luscious gorgeous. Foliage, you know, so yes, I think they are in awe. And they uh but no, I have an affinity for ferns right now. That's kind of a weak spot. Yeah. I got um, I kinda you know, ebb and flow.
0: <laughs> no, I'm right there with you. I mean, for some reason this year, uh more more so because in the past, historically, when we started building out the gardens here, I had all day. Easy Bake Oven, Tennessee Sun. So a lot of this was difficult. But in the last five years, as some other trees have grown up and we've, we started, to, we grew shade, Carmen, is essentially what happened. We grew some yeah. shade. And now I have this whole other palette of plants that historically I, I couldn't have done But now I can do ferns, I can do epimediums, I can do hostas, I can consider dicentra. Like I have these options that I couldn't have, I couldn't have even considered in the past.
1: Right, back in the day. And you know, that's such an interesting thing. I think as a person starts in gardening, they start with something that blooms, that's flowers. And then I think as their taste starts evolving, I feel like some of the more refined gardeners start to appreciate just the foliage, right? Just the beautiful, does that make, do you know what I'm talking about?
0: Well, it's one of of Christopher Lloyd from Great Dixter. It's one of his comments that texture and foliage is so much more important than flower because many flowers are so short-lived, regardless of what the plant is. Even the, the longest lived flowering plant in a garden sense is still a short period of the season. And, and I'll say this to people, if you're in hot parts of the country, like Carmen and I are even Mm. more. So the, the growing season where we're at is so forever long. It's so forever long that you need a plant that looks and does something else. Textural contrasting, than just the bloom because many times even if it bloomed for four to six weeks which is a long time in plant world right. that still talk-
1: means hundreds of days without it yes we texture is such an important element in the garden and also in the containers but I think as as people their palates start to become more refined and I think that's something that evolves over of, over years right they just start paying more attention to that so Right now I'm looking at a cart full of luscious and gorgeous ferns that I cannot wait to get my hands in next week.
0: <laughs> all right. For gardening, for outdoor gardening, non-container. Any romances this year with other plants? Like anything that you've been like, oh, that's something you get to I would imagine, do you use camellias at all where you're at in yes. the world?
1: Yes. So Shishi Gashiras. Um, I would say that would probably be something we're using a lot of right now, I'm just trying to go in through my, you know, like the different, um, the plant, you know, we, the different, um, distilliums, uh, I'm trying to think of the things that we've planted recently. I feel like we've we've planted, we've installed so many clients, um, gardens, you know, we do a ton of boxwoods, um, regardless of what's going on with the boxwood blight right now. But, um, you know a, a tree that some I love the the green leaf seedling maples I love its branch structure it's pretty you know even in the winter time um, you know I'm not a real big fan of red in the garden because it's so hot it makes me feel hot I like whites and greens and things that make me feel cool um, and then, and I love like pale colors in the garden. Now, don't get me wrong. I have lantanas and different things blooming my garden that have all their reds and different colors. But you know, I kind of go through different, um, th- you know, what would you call it, um, moods in the garden. Yeah, I well, guess.
0: You- I also think many times <laughs> the color is like what we're talking about with flowering time is overrated sometimes, yeah. right? Like, like people get very, you know, no offense to the fine folks at Walters Gardens, they know I love them. But they have their entire line of perennial hibiscus, uh, the summerific program through Proven Winners. And I I see the perennial hibiscus, and it's got this giant 10-inch flower that sort of screams, you know, Google Maps can see it. And it's great, but it's almost like it's too easy. It's just sort of like it, it has a garden needs to, again, like we talked about earlier, Carmen, needs to be part of this bigger picture, as you said, component. And sometimes that kind of plant can be a little challenging to work in a garden. It has this dark, bronzy, burgundy foliage and this giant flower that's just everything, all the yeah. life and oxygen in the room is being sucked out of it and going to that plant. And sometimes it can be a little challenging to site correctly.
1: Yeah, you know, we—I—I I, don't—I'm I'm kind of in this mood or this flow of this season right now, uh, of of life where I, I'm really trying to. I don't know what it is, but trying just to go back to like the old school plants, you know, really try. Like I said, I'm I'm kind of spending some time watching YouTube videos of old fashioned gardens and and just really trying to. I don't know if it's the nostalgic or it. Sometimes I think the people constantly trying to reinvent the plants. Like, what are the just the good old tried and true plants, right? That that we know that are are, are going to work well. But don't get me wrong, I love I love the new I, I, I love all the new stuff and the, the different things that are coming out. But I, I guess you could say I'm kind of in a season right now where we're just trying to what are just the good old fashioned plants that are working you know really really well because in the south we're dealing with the heat. You know, there's just there's so much there's so many things.
0: Well, that is here. one of the the great issues sometimes in plants that come into the market that they. Regardless, you guys know this when you listen to the podcast. I've said this a thousand times. The (laughs) word trialing sometimes is a very soft word, right? No one's saying, Let's put a plant down in central Georgia. Let's put one over in, you know, Arkansas.
1: California. That's it.
0: They're grown in these very like, oh, these are places where we know they'll do okay. And we trialed them there. And, And hey, I get that. But When we talk about some of these varieties that have hit the market, they come to areas of the country like ours, and it's not so great, suddenly, for that plant. So I think there is something to be said for rediscovering some of these varieties that that did do well for so long. Uh, One that was on my mind from this year, after you said that, Carmen, was Phlox paniculata mini pearl, which is an old variety of phlox, white, pure phlox, but- It's a plant that was actually discovered in like Mississippi. So, you know, it has this lineage directly linked to a part of the country that I know if that plant, if somebody found that plant growing and looking beautiful in Mississippi, I know it'll do just fine here in Tennessee. So it can do what I want it to do.
1: Yeah, it is going to do well. That's why I think it's so important that that we suck that knowledge out of those, you know, like the Michael Durrs and those folks because they know that stuff. And they probably can remember telling the story of when that plant came to be, you know, and when they harvested it, when they found that. So that's kind of what we're uh, trying to do right now is rediscover some of those older um older plants and spending some time on that for our clients. Because at the end of the day, you know, we want our clients gardens to look, uh, you know, beautiful and they know they're going to fail. They know some things are not going to do well, but you know, it's just creating, and especially now with everything that's going on, you know, they, they want to look outside and just and feel that reprieve of the garden. That's what I think gardens. It could be one of the reasons why so many people are so interested in it right now. It, it is a sense of reprieve, you know, with everything that's going on in the world. You know, it's that sense of calmness, that sense of um, you know Mother Nature, and just kind of getting back in touch with that again.
0: What's next for you? I'm curious, right? Because you 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 ride in this very interesting lane, right? Where you're you're communicating. You're out there as a a public figure. You know, a lot of people who are in the the garden design world, uh, they they stay relatively behind the camera at all times. You know, which is cool. And I I I I have a lot of those accounts that I follow, but not everybody is like you and I, Carmen, and we're going in front of the camera constantly and we're we're jibber jabbering. What do you see next for yourself?
1: We actually are going to go in front of the camera even more. <laughs> We've got um, some fun things coming up with HGTV. I can't that's all I can say some fun things in the works for that. And two, just really focusing on we're, we're trying to get more, you know, content out there, trying to educate people. Uh, uh you know about gardening and just trying to you know help them in, in those possible ways. and then too i mean our the actual core part of our business the um you know the landscape design and installation i mean it is just going crazy right now and we are so thankful for that and so blessed for our loyal clientele and our new clientele so you know, we um we've got some fun things on the horizon. we we've got an exciting well we hope <laughs> an exciting uh twenty
2: twenty-one. I walk across ties of these old abandoned rails. Wondering about the stories they could tell I think of all the weight I carry on my own And I try to empathize with all they bear There's something about the sun that brings me back to life It's just like staring in your eyes and I can't tell you what it is I'm doing here All I know is nothing's felt so right So let me stay Feeling this way I never want to leave This state of For me to decide Everybody's putting down This brand new high mark But they're just whispers way up here They got no rhyme for the reason why it's wrong. But there's still this burning in my ears. Some folks say I probably should live this way. But the last time I checked, this was my life. For me to decide